Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Wounded Warrior Project is working to foster the most successful generation of veterans in our nation's history. One of the ways they do that is through adaptive sports. Veterans are some of the most resilient people on the planet. It's not about what you can't do after experiencing injury or illness. It's about tapping into what you can do. Learn more about how Wounded Warrior Project's adaptive sports programs are changing lives at www.woundedwarriorproject.org sports. This show is brought to you by K Jewelers. Listen up, NFL fans. K just dropped a collection of officially licensed NFL jewelry. Shop your favorite team in the True Fans Fine Jewelry Collection at K.com slash TrueFans. Gear up for the season and celebrate the love of the game with K. It's about to go. This is the Buffalo Nerd Sports Podcast. Where we talk history of the game numbers and stats. And each week we highlight a charity that's doing good. If you haven't subscribed yet, then you should. Because I'm sick to this. This the, the real deal. And you know I gotta shout out the Buffalo Bills. Turn it up to the max. Sit back and relax. This the Buffalo Nerd Sports Podcast. Let go. What is up, Bills Mafia? Welcome into another episode of the Buffalo Nerd. Uh, if this is your first time here, thanks for being here. It's appreciated. Uh, if you've been listening and following along for the whole journey so far, you also are appreciated. Thank you. You're going to love today's show. We're going to jam into the Bills offense, and we're going to get deep into the numbers. We are going to be chatting it up with Josh Larkey today, and he is going to be the man over at Roto Underworld who is the director of analytics. So I think if we're going to get deep dives into the numbers, today's going to be the day, so I'm super excited about that. And we're also going to chat up a really awesome charity. So before we get into everything, Josh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, let the people know who you are. I'm Josh Larkey. I'm the director of analytics at Roto Underworld and playerprofiler.com. And you can find me on Twitter at jlarkeytweets. I'm excited to be here because the Bills are actually one of my favorite teams right now. Since as an analytics guy, as most people know, we have just been aggressively pounding the table for teams to pass the ball more. And that is what the Bills did this past season. And it looks like they're set up to do the same. So this is a team that I am very excited about. While not my personal team to root for, it's one of those teams that I respect what they've done in the front office. And they're going to be a, a lot of fun this year, just like last year. So let's do this. Yeah, I think that's the really awesome piece of all this, right, is that the team is cool and they're doing really good right now and everybody's kind of interested in what they're up to. So, But before we get into any of the football stuff, um, because Josh actually has like a really awesome program we're going to chat up today that I've been dying to learn a little bit about. So before we get into that, though, we always like to chat up a charity here at The Nerd. Everybody knows that. 
So this week, uh, Josh got to choose that charity, and we're going to be talking up Feeding America, right? And I think uh, some people might be familiar with you know Feeding America. If you're not, um, you're going to be after today, and uh, that's the whole point of what we're doing here. So uh, Josh, why don't you go ahead and let everybody know why uh, you chose Feeding America? So Feeding America, it's basically just a huge network of food banks around the nation, and I volunteered with them before. And the reason that I chose Feeding America is because I think there's very few things that someone can accomplish in life if they're hungry. And I think there's two or three main things that everyone needs. Like you need some type of shelter, you need some type of education, and you need to be well-fed. So I think that kind of fits in where it's very difficult to succeed in life and to get anywhere if you are just completely starving. So that's why I think it's really important is that I just enjoy eating. I think pretty much everyone does to some extent or another. And I think that it's just still something that's under-discussed is how important just, especially with kids in uh, lower-income areas, is the disadvantage that they have, even if they're going to school, if you're hungry while in class, that you're just not going to learn at the same rate. So that's why I think it's important is just raising awareness that there's so many people out there that do have food insecurity every single day. Absolutely. And I think especially just coming out of the pandemic and everything like that, right? Mm -hmm. People are more people are in that situation than we've ever probably had before. So it's definitely cool to highlight organizations like Feeding America. They are everywhere. I mean, there's over 200 food banks across the country and there might be one in your backyard. That's the other thing that I kind of like about doing this with highlighting the charities each week is right. I don't have all the money in the world or like all that kind of stuff, but maybe you got time. Food banks are definitely one of those locations that if you can volunteer some hours, that kind of stuff, that's a way you can help out. Even just spreading the word to somebody else. That's what we're trying to do. So Josh, Thanks for bringing it up. It's an awesome charity. Of course, like we do every week, everything will be in the show notes. So if you guys can't find them, they are at feedingamerica.org, but it'll be down there. So you can just click on it and it'll take you right over. You can find out more about them or you can just go ahead and donate or find out where you can come and volunteer You know, some of your time. So it's pretty cool. So Josh, you are into numbers, I would say, right? Yeah, I would say I have a, a pretty unhealthy obsession with, with the stats. Okay, so so okay, it's safe to say that you're a bit of a nerd in the numbers department. So you developed this whole R coding course, right? So tell me a little bit about this coding course. What's it all about? So I think just people out there, anyone that's listening who doesn't know how to code, it's probably terrifying just to even imagine learning to code. That's how it was for me. I know it's how it is for a lot of people. I really wanted to get into sports analytics actually for several years before I started learning how to code. And it's because I was just intimidated. I had my Excel spreadsheets and I heard people throwing around scary terms like R and Python and Java. And I thought, you know what? I don't want any of that. This sounds terrifying. And I'd heard from people that it was really difficult and there was a lot of homework. And yeah, I just kind of completely procrastinated until my senior year of college I started taking coding classes to be able to get into grad school to learn more coding. So I kind of put it off like three to five years more than most people do that are in this industry. And even when I was in grad school learning advanced analytical coding, I didn't find it very fun. I truly didn't enjoy grad school because all the data sets that we were analyzing, it was, we're going to find the credit card fraud. <laughs> and that's it's hard to get passionate about finding that. Right. Or we're going to analyze what makes a house so expensive? We're going to look at two bedroom, three bedroom, one bath, two bath square footage, and we're going to predict how expensive a house is. I really couldn't care less about that either. <laughs> what I would do in grad school is everything that I learned in class on the weekends, I would practice those concepts with baseball and football data sets because there's a lot of those data sets that are publicly available. 
And that's kind of how I would teach myself and reinforce the concepts. And I love doing it. And I felt like there was this gap in the market where sports fans are very intimidated to learn to code, but they also love numbers. And that if you think about it, there's so much in sports that's numbers focused, there's box scores for every sport. So I thought as someone that's been working in the fantasy football industry, I should make a course where I teach analytics and R coding using football data sets and that it's a more fun way to do it. And I felt like I could make a really efficient program because so much of learning to code in school, it's very similar to a math class where the teacher tells you a lecture, it all makes sense in class, two plus two is four. And you're like, oh, this is great. Two plus two is four, I've got it. And you look at the homework assignment and it goes, solve for X, 50X times something, something, something. And next thing you know, you are just on Google all night figuring out how to do your homework. So I try and make it fun with the football data and I just give you the answers. So all the homework assign- homework assignments in quotes, because I mean, technically you don't have to do anything. It's, it's a completely on your own time learning, right. but any kind of assignments associated with it, I have the answers available in case you want to cross-reference. Everything that I teach in the lessons is what you're actually going to be using for the assignments. So I think that giving people the answers to the test, especially when they learn how to code at the early stages, is critical to making it more efficient and fun. So that's that's what I try and do with my course, thatrcodingsite.com. Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty uh, important, that last piece, right? Because it, it already sounds like it's going to be hard enough. And I imagine some people would get to the point where they think that they know it, so they would kind of just move on. But realistically, having the answer there, they can look and go, oh, no, I don't have it. You know, I was way off, right? So you go back. So it's building a good base, right? I mean, to make mm-hmm. sure before you move forward. So basically, it's truly a coding course, but we're just doing all football data and it's, you know, just all data driven from football that makes it a lot more fun to get engaged into it. Yeah, I think the numbers come to life more when it's football data because, I mean, if I'm looking at credit card fraud and I'm looking at this data set and one of the variables is time of the transaction and another variable is brand of credit card, it's really hard to enjoy that compared to you have a data set of receiving yards and targets and touchdowns. It's a lot easier for the number to, to come to life and you go, oh man, I can totally envision that guy catching that touchdown. Or you look and go, wow, this guy had 12 receiving touchdowns this year. He had a great season. And that you can have those little micro insights and aha moments and having stuff come to life as you're doing the analytics work. And I think that's super critical, especially for new people being able to stick with it and power through and truly learn how to code. That's very cool. And uh, some of the stuff that you're teaching in there, is it stuff that people can actually take and utilize like for fantasy or any of that stuff as they're doing it? Oh yeah, you can use it for fantasy football. Uh, The actual concepts that I teach, the analytical concepts, those are just across industry analytical concepts. I've worked uh, on the business side, I've worked on the sports side in my analytics career. And these are concepts that I've used on both ends. So if you wanted to be an analyst at a bank, which... Personally, I would not recommend. That doesn't sound very fun. But if you wanted to do that and you wanted to be the credit card fraud person, well, you could do that. You could but do after that. taking my course, you would be able to handle that data set. I just, yeah, I mean, why would you do that? But if you wanted to, yes, you could. So yeah, fantasy football, however you want to take it. These are just uh, industry agnostic data analysis tools taught with football. 
I love it. So it says on there on the site, I've been to it. You've got over 600 hours poured into it, right? Uh, so you can go to thatrcodingsite.com, correct? That's what it is. And of course, that'll be in the show notes and you guys can check out the course and what uh, Josh has got going on over there. So obviously, since he's building things like this, we're going to get some good numbers today. I think uh, the folks probably at Roto Underworld and Player Profile aren't just letting anybody be their director, right? So I'm really hoping to get some insight today because I think a lot of people tend to not realize that fantasy football can tell us a lot about a team, right? And it can actually help us project what a team's going to be better than just trying to listen to your people talk about the team that know the team and, you know, or whatever in quotes there, you know, but so I'm curious to hear where you are in the bills. And I think that we're going to talk offense today and we might as well just start at the top because we know who the main stud is on the team of QB1, Josh Allen. But there's a lot of talk of regression, possibly what could happen, this, that, and the other. Where does he sit for you this season as far as quarterback ranks go? Are we going to see the same out of Josh Allen? Do you anticipate something completely different, close to? Yeah, I have him projected actually fairly similarly to last season. There were there were no smoke and mirrors with his his actual analytical profile. It's not like he was one of those guys that was just getting lucky all season. He actually showed demonstrated improved accuracy. And the Bills also had a faster-paced offense, a higher pass rate in neutral situations, which essentially means that in prior years, on first down, they were much more likely. A random first down happens. Bills of prior seasons frequently ran the ball. Last year's Bills... Uh, anyone that watched noticed uh, Zach Moss, Devin Singletary were not getting a whole lot of carries and that this really was a pass-first offense. And I think that, I mean, we all saw just how successful the offense was last year compared to prior years. So I don't see any reason that they would dial back the passing. The The personnel looks really similar. I know they lost John Brown, but they gained Emmanuel Sanders. I think that's a fairly one-for-one swap. We now have year two of the Diggs-Allen connection. We have another year of Gabe Davis. With Josh Allen. So I think that everything's kind of setting up where Josh Allen's going to be in a really similar situation. And unless for some reason they completely abandon the pass, which I don't see happening, then everything about Josh Allen's year three leap looks real. Yeah, I really like it. And I, I mean, to me, it's the same thing. I think I've mentioned that a couple of you know, times this past couple of weeks where it's been, they didn't change very much. Right. So, yes, he, I feel like you might see a regression in his stats a little bit just because the run game might pick up a little bit here or there. So there might be a little bit less, but I don't really see that there's going to be a regression in his play overall. So would you say he's still going to be top five for sure? Yeah, I have him in the sort of that top tier of quarterback. I think the the top four can be a little fungible with Mahomes, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson. I think just kind of depending on what you think about each of those guys, those do seem to be the top four. They are for me. They are for a lot of people. So I think within that, Josh Allen could be the QB1. He could be number four out of those guys. But I think they're all going to be within one, one and a half fantasy points a game. And uh, statistically, I think they'll all be throwing for like 4,500 plus passing yards, uh, rushing to various degrees. So I think Allen will probably rush a tiny bit less this year. We'll have year two of Zach Moss. He'll be hopefully healthy all season. So I do think Allen's carries will be scaled back a tiny bit, but I don't think they're going to limit him in the red zone. I think that's one thing that's really exciting about Josh Allen statistically is that he, I mean, he's a huge bodied quarterback and he clearly makes really savvy decisions in the red zone, especially at the goal line. That's one thing actually that even before he broke out last year, 
he was actually an incredibly efficient red zone quarterback, which I always found really interesting that he was kind of terrible between the twenties, his first two years, but that in the red zone, he was not throwing interceptions. He was getting his rushing touchdowns, making good decisions. So I think those kind of things show that there was some type of foundation there that he kind of built on last year. Yeah. I really liked, I'm, I just wrote some about that too, that him and uh, Lamar both are kind of like, that's the thing when you're trying to think about what running backs you want is those are kind of your RB1s in the goal line situations, are your QB1s in both of those teams, right? So I think Josh is going to have another phenomenal year as long as he stays healthy. And I agree with the John Brown to Emmanuel Sanders. I, I actually almost think that Emmanuel might be a step up just because of the way that he runs routes. Uh, compared to what John Brown brought. But I'm pretty interested to see what's going to happen there. But before we jump to the uh, wide receivers, you brought up Zach Moss and you brought up Singletary and their inability to get handoffs uh, you know, or opportunities to even touch the ball. And we've kind of talked about it already. We're anticipating similar this year. Do you anticipate either one of them are going to make or break this year or are they not even going to see enough, do you think, again? So I've projected Zach Moss to kind of become the leader in this backfield. And there's a few reasons behind that. So one of them is that Singletary and Moss have pretty comparable athleticism, similarly fast, similarly agile. The difference is that Zach Moss is 20 pounds heavier than Singletary. And that's really important for an NFL running back. At least it's always been important for coaches historically. The bigger running backs generally get more work with the the thinking being that the bigger body can handle more tackles and hold up better. And I think they've kind of groomed, they were trying to groom Zach Moss for that role sort of towards the end of last season when he was consistently out carrying Devin Singletary and he was also getting more goal line work. So some of the, the more higher value touches were already beginning to go to Zach Moss. And then also, I know people probably think anytime there's a smaller running back, this is the pass catcher, but Moss's pass catching resume in college is actually more impressive than Singletary. And I think that's really interesting. And I do believe that with his resume in college and Singletary's really inefficient route running and kind of yards per target, yards per route run. Basically, every efficiency metric has shown that Singletary runs a ton of routes. He just never gets open and doesn't get targeted. So I do think they're going to start to shift over as well to Zach Moss. I think this is a very competent coaching staff with what they showed last year. And I think that they're going to get it right. And that the the bigger guy with the same athleticism and the better receiving background as well will start to pull ahead. I really like uh, that you said all that because that's uh, pretty much what I just said uh, myself here recently. As I've been saying since they drafted him last year, that he's built for the offense. He's he's played in some cold weather when he played at Utah. I mean, he's he's built to be on the field and take the hits, be up the middle, catch the ball. He's just built for the offense. So last year, I thought he would break out, and he I felt like he was until he got hurt. That he was showing that he was going to be the guy in the backfield. So this season, I do think that. Uh, I know Motor has put in some work. He looks completely different this offseason, so we'll see if that translates on, onto the field for him. But do you think uh, Matt Breida sneaks into this mix at all? Or I, I'm not even sure he's going to make the team, but what, what do you think? Uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah. I believe that if he was just completely shelved basically from week one for, for Miles Gaskin last season, even after getting the contract when Gaskin was making seventh-round pick money and Breida was getting his four or five million, whatever it was, he was making millions and still couldn't get on the field. So I don't see how he's going to unseat Moss or Singletary. It's also just a lower volume running attack. So even if he's the occasional third running back mixing in, that could be 40 carries over the course of the season. So I, I really think that 
even if he makes the team, he's most likely just a non-factor at this point. Got it. So obviously, I think that everybody kind of feels the same way about the Bills' backfield. Like everybody I've talked to, it's kind of an unsettling situation because we didn't really get to see much last year. So it's just pick your poison. I think most people are leaning Moss first before Singletary. And, and I agree with that. I think that's the way I would go too. But the real room, I think, that's the challenge is if you're not going to go up and get Mr. Diggs and make him the top priority that you're going to try to get, this offense behind them, you know the numbers are going to be there, but what, where do you rank these guys? What do you think this is going to look like behind Diggs? Is Diggs going to perform equally? Yeah, I think Diggs can perform similarly. I know that his season last year was a big surprise, and it's because everyone was thinking that the Bills would be lower volume. Josh Allen, no one was projecting that he'd overnight become one of the two or three most accurate quarterbacks in the NFL. But if you trace back Diggs to Minnesota, he had a couple seasons where he was commanding a similar target share. And that the reason that he might never have had quite the stats he had with Buffalo was that it wasn't as good of an offense and it was never a super high volume passing attack. But he had shown that he was a 25% plus target share, which is kind of like what the super alphas get. So this wasn't a guy that had been a complimentary wide receiver commanding very small chunks of an offense and then overnight becoming a stud. He had actually already demonstrated that. We had just never seen Diggs in an elite and fast-paced offense before. So that's why I think it's totally legitimate. Obviously, it surprised me too, but the surprise wasn't necessarily the share of the pie that he got last year. It was more how big the pie was. Yeah. Turning to uh, who next man up is, I think Cole Beasley's the wide receiver too here. I know there's been a lot of talk of, oh, Gabe Davis, he's so exciting. I don't want to poop too much on these Gabe Davis people, but I don't think this is the wide receiver two. I don't think he's the wide receiver three right now either. I think this is still the wide receiver four. This is a day three pick who commanded a 10.5-11% target share last season, which that's fine for a rookie. But in context, Cole Beasley had a 20% target share. Cole Beasley was basically getting two times as many targets when he was on the field with Gabe Davis. And I don't think that's going to change. Beasley was playing hurt last year and still was doing that. Beasley actually had a higher target share two years ago. He had a 23% target share. So those that were surprised about Beasley, like I was last year, it was not because of his share of the pie. It was, once again, the pie just increased. Beasley had already demonstrated he was a high target share kind of guy last uh, two years ago with Allen. So... I think Beasley is still the clear number two. And I think that Sanders is the clear number three. I've read some beat reports that kind of echo that as well. And Sanders was commanding a 18, 19% target share last year in New Orleans. So we have three guys commanding like a 20% plus target share. And then Gabe Davis, the day three rookie with a 10 to 11% target share. I just think there's so much ground for him to make up. And the, the cautionary tale that I've thrown out there is Anthony Miller. Anthony Miller's rookie season, just like Gabe Davis, he had seven touchdowns receiving and one in five of his catches as a rookie was a touchdown for both Anthony Miller and Gabe Davis. And that's what I'm afraid of is that nobody would be talking about Gabe Davis if he had two receiving touchdowns. And that part of it is he had the incredible game for over a hundred yards against Miami end of season and that he had seven touchdowns. So that's why I think it right now, at least preseason, I have it as a clear pecking order of Diggs, Beasley, Sanders, Davis. Uh, that's that's pretty. I like that actually because I've been I've been pushing this off season a little bit that I feel like Emmanuel Sanders is going to have like his best season that he's had 
probably even going back to the season he had in Denver when he was across from Demarius, maybe like his second year in Denver, he had a really good year. He hasn't been across from a receiver that is that good. And I do believe that this coaching staff will still lean with the veteran over a rookie in any situation unless it's just a clear cut. He's blowing him out of the water. And I think Gabe Davis's issue still at this point has only just been separation. He's, he's not really great at separation yet, but he can make the gorgeous catches and he can do all that because of the big body, which is awesome. But it does take a little more than just that, you know, in the NFL. So I agree with that. The only thing that shakes it all up, obviously, is if, if Cole decides that he's going to, you know, hold out like he says he's going to or whatever it's going to turn into. And then things could definitely change up at that point. I mean, would, at that point, do you, uh, do you see Isaiah McKenzie getting a larger role? Or would you say that it truly just slides everybody up the ladder? I guess by osmosis, McKenzie gets a bigger role. But you don't see guys like that very often having a real role outside of a gadget role. I think he's 5'7", 175. And I generally don't like betting on players in the NFL that look like me. <laughs> If I walk down the street and don't double take at a guy's physique, they probably aren't going to be a focal point of an NFL offense. If you're 5'7", you better be over 200 pounds like Singletary. 5'7", 175, this is a very slight guy. I believe this is a special team gadget guy for life. That's kind of how he's been used in the NFL. I think he's very good in that role. But I don't think he takes a major step up. I think if anything, they would just shift to, to more three wide receiver sets with a tight end and running back out there, running 11 personnel. But yeah, I, I think Beasley's going to play. Whatever you think about his politics, uh, I don't think there's much historical precedent for a guy who's never won a Super Bowl being totally set up to be the wide receiver two on a Super Bowl contending offense and turning that down. So that's why I just can't, logically, I just can't get on board with him actually retiring. And then also, I mean, Josh Allen has not been the most vocal vaccine supporter either. So it's not like Josh Allen is yelling at everyone to take the vaccine and Beasley's not. So I think that there's a lot of support there where ultimately they're good friends. And I think if Josh Allen suits up, which he's going to, Beasley will as well. Yeah, I mean, I think this is going to find some solution at one point or another, or the the NFLPA will stand in enough of a way to at least make it rough for the NFL to enforce something for a season to where everybody can play no matter what it is, right? Maybe he has to wear a mask while he's at the facility or something different, you know, than everybody else. But I, I foresee him playing too. I mean, we're talking about a guy that's going to be, what, 32 next year. There's not many more opportunities to get a Super Bowl. Right. And this is going to be probably it. I mean, and I don't know that he'll be around for sure next year anyway. So this would kind of be the last hurrah in my eyes, realistically. So I agree with you. Um, but in that, if we had to shift to a three wide receiver set and we're going to roll the tight end out there a little bit, let's move over to the tight ends. We got Mr. Dawson Knox, who can make the incredible grab, but can't tend to catch it when he's wide open. Um, but, and then we brought in Hollister this season, who I'm actually fairly intrigued about, but what do you think the Bills tight end is going to look like this year? Anything worthwhile or just another non-existent thing because there's not enough left to go around? So I think there's actually a lot of moving parts here. If Beasley doesn't play, then I think the tight end can actually be a really fruitful position just because it's such a high-volume attack. And that, I mean, Gabe Davis was fantasy football relevant at times last year, even with only 11% target share, which a lot of tight ends in this league, especially starters, have. So I think that you could pretty easily have someone that's on people's radar if Beasley doesn't play. However, I think there's another variable in here, which is I keep reading about Zach Ertz, 
potentially going to Buffalo. And I think that makes sense kind of all around where you get the polished veteran and then you can kind of, you can do more three wide receiver sets and have a little bit of a rotation. Beasley and Sanders have both had some injuries the past few years. They're in their thirties, they're slight of frame. And I think it would be kind of nice to be able to have those guys getting 60 to 70% snap shares rather than trying to force 80 to 90% snap shares for them. So I think if Ertz comes, he'll become interesting. Between Knox and Hollister, I side with Knox just because he's very athletic and he's young. And if we just think about how a lot of these tight end breakouts happen, it's frequently a young tight end who's entering year three, year four with great athleticism and just kind of raw talent, but hasn't put it together yet. There's a lot of these kind of rough around the edges, unpolished guys who will put it together. So that's why I think he has kind of a better chance to do it than Hollister. I just feel like if Hollister couldn't beat out players like Will Disley playing in Seattle, I don't really see how he's going to beat out what I think is a, a superior talent in Dawson Knox. So I think Hollister will be a goal line threat at times with some two tight end sets, but I don't really see him having any type of regular role unless uh, something happens with Knox or Hollister has some incredible camp. I think it'll be Dawson Knox in probably a similar role to last year where if possible, they're going to go four wide receiver sets. That was what they were. That was what was most effective and efficient last year. So I think unless uh, something happens to Beasley or there's an injury to one of those receivers that it'll be a lot of the four wide receiver sets once again. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, right? If it's, not, if it's not broke, don't fix it, right? I mean, just keep working at it and keep getting better at doing what you're doing until they prove they can stop it. But yeah, for me, Hollister's role is the Lee Smith role last year, which should amount to about three red zone touchdowns potentially, right? Mm-hmm. Just because of the connection. But Knox, I think he, as much as I, I've been giving him a hard time and everything, I do believe he is suited up this year to actually make an impact and be the guy and show that he can be the guy, which would be awesome because he is young and he is good looking tight end. I mean, he has all the pieces. It looks like to me, hopefully tight end university helps him out a little bit. I've been anti the Zach Ertz stuff uh, just because the money, uh, unless, unless Philadelphia is going to pick up most of his tab, I'm not really down for it because we don't really have the money. And with Josh Allen due and maybe Edmonds getting his paycheck next year too. I just don't see uh, spending the money. I'd rather believe that Dawson Knox can do it for a season or we just don't really use the position that often like we did last year. Right. I mean, it's just keeps, keep the wide receivers rolling, mm-hmm. but yeah, the money thing's a good point. I'm not familiar with the, the bills cap situation as a non fan of the team, but right. yeah, I would, I would not endorse anything that shelves a, a Josh Allen extension just to yeah, get I mean, he's a, due a like 8 million or something like that. We've got like 9.8 right now in cap. So it's like, I it just, if they want to eat up most of his salary and take like a fourth round pick, then, you know, sure, I, I would be down for it then. But mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to do that. Yeah. You know, especially if they still believe he's worth it. So we're kind of coming up on a half hour, getting close here. But I know you mentioned it a little bit prior. Uh, you want to sneak in a little Scott Fishbowl action? How's your experience been? Has it been a good, uh, you feel good about your team? Are you guys done? We're, no, we're not done. We are in round 16. It's been slow. There is someone from England in my draft and he has the turn pick. So he had the, he had the first overall pick, et cetera. And I'm on the West coast. So he, he seems to be going to sleep at like three, 4 PM Pacific time. So my draft is basically just done by that time. So we kind of have a very limited window for our draft of when we can draft. So we're still in the 16th round. How about you? We actually, uh, it's it's going pretty smooth, and we're actually um, we're heading into the last round. So I've got one nice. pick left. So 
Um, it's towards the end because I was 10. So I'm, uh, I'm waiting just towards the end to take my final pick and then we'll call it good. It went pretty smooth. Uh, it really came out of the gates fast. And then uh, some of the overnight stuff and like there was a couple spots where it really slowed. Um, but then it would kind of jam back up again. So it's been fun. Nice. Yeah, I can actually say that I have uh, a Bills guy on my team. I took Cole Beasley. Did I'm you? very high on him this year compared to consensus. I, as, the, as a stats guy, I just try and block out some of the, the rumors and if you just look at strictly what he's done on the football field the last two years, he's been an elite separator who commands targets. So I was able to get Cole Beasley. Where did I get him? I got him in the 13th round as wide receiver 52. Yeah, that's Even crazy. though he's been a wide receiver two, basically two years in a row now, and looks to have the exact same role. So I don't quite know what I'm missing. I think he's great for this format because you kind of want a volume guy mm-hmm. when first you're getting a half matter, point right. for first downs. Yeah. You want someone that's getting a ton of catches and hopefully getting a lot of those as first downs. So I thought that was actually one of my best value picks. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But I went QB early and then I've just kind of filled in the rest. So I went Lamar Tannehill to get two accurate quarterbacks who don't throw interceptions because this format's minus four for interceptions. So I wanted... Two guys that I could probably bank on single-digit interceptions totals. Your uh, so, your team is. <laughs> I uh, did not take quarterback early, and I immediately started seeing that it was going to hurt me immediately. Who do you right? have? <laughs> and so, uh, I, I mean, I'm okay. I'm I'm kind of happy with where I'm at. I, I'm going to go back and look at it when it's all said and done. But I actually started out with uh, Henry and Zeke, and then took Diggs in the third, and then. I think I got to the fourth and realized there was like no quarterbacks left. So the the panic set in and I went Kirk Cousins, uh, which that's I was a, okay that's a with. Move. I, uh, I like Kirk. And then I actually successfully didn't think this would take place, but a couple rounds later, I was able to get Thielen and get a little stack on the, in the, the kind of middle there that I was not planning on doing at all. Um, it just happened to fall to me. I, I, I could have done it right away. And then I was like, uh, Keenan Allen was there and I'm a big Keenan Allen fan. So I was like, I'm going Keenan Allen. And then I came back around and Thielen was still there. So I was like, oh, I should probably just do it just to see. I mean, can't hurt, right? Yeah, I really, it's funny because I've been doing a lot of stacking research recently. I had a podcast on it. I have an article coming out soon on Player Profiler about it. And I believe my league mates have all been looking at my Twitter activity, seeing that it's been all about stacking. They have sniped the the shit out of me. (laughs) Uh, So I have Lamar and Tannehill. A couple picks before me, AJ Brown went. Uh, a couple of rounds back, I was teeing up Rashad Bateman. So he, of course, went one pick before me. That's Andrews cool. went like two picks before me. It's basically been every Titans or uh, Ravens receiving option goes right before me. Right before. Someone I thought reached pretty heavily on Ferkser, so I couldn't even get Ferkser. It was pretty crazy. I was looking at like my draft board, and I was like, wow, these guys are just flying off the board. So. Yeah, I, I actually um, zero stacks to my name. I snuck in a little bit later too that I was just like, well, I might as well as I I got a little Irv at tight end as well. So I actually oh, have the whole one. I have the whole little stack set and ready to go to see if Minnesota can happen to do. It. I just I feel like their offense should still be productive. It's more about if the defense is gonna what the defense is gonna do for that team, right? I mean, mm-hmm. for me, I think Kirk still got some magic in that arm, and he's throwing it to still two stud wide receivers, and he's got one of the best backs in the NFL. So I mean. Hopefully it'll work out. If you have a pick left, I would recommend Tyler Conklin as well and grabbing both tight ends because towards the end of last season, little known, but Tyler Conklin was getting more snaps than Irv Smith. So I think he's actually going to be kind of annoying potentially Mm. 
to a lot of Irv Smith owners. That's and with the know. with the ultra tight end premium, I think it's kind of nice to load up on a lot of tight ends just in case. Because for those listening, this is half PPR and you get half a point for first downs. Tight ends, it's full PPR and you get a full point for first downs. So everything is double. So if your tight end has a 50 catch season, that's like a receiver having a 100 catch season. So all the tight end stuff is just crazy elevated. So, I like that. Uh, so Conklin could be a kind of a fun one. It's one of the few times that I'll actually grab two tight ends from the same team because I think they're both pretty affordable. And I don't think it's 100% clear cut who the guy will be. Yeah, and I, I could use a little magic probably in my tight end room anyway because right now I have Hooper, Irv, Knox, Doyle, and then I've just kind of been sitting there at the end. The next guy I was going to go with, actually, since nobody's going to hear this until this is over now anyway, uh, <laughs> I was going to go with the uh, Raiders backup. Uh, oh, the, Moreau? Moreau, yeah. If he's Walter a, happens to go down, that's a lot of target share there potentially. So That's an interesting one. Yeah, I haven't really thought as much about grabbing the the backup tight end in that sense, but I like the idea. I was thinking of just my final few picks grabbing either upside tight ends like a Mo Alley Cox or a mm. Dan Arnold, random guys that might might get a decent amount of snaps, and then just a few random running backs. Yeah, I think that I'll Dan Arnold kind of one could be sneaky good too. Mm-hmm. I think he, I like that offense actually. I think he he might actually have a cool role there. Yeah, he had the the most yards per reception out of tight ends last year. He had the the highest target depth. He's not really a tight end, which I like for tight ends. Yeah, that's I cool. want them to be as untight end as possible. Well, now I've got if three names block, that I got to look for. Yeah. See, now you're just making this dip more difficult for me on my last pick. Now I'm going to be like looking at these three guys all day now. I just want my tight end in fantasy to never block and to not run tight end routes. So Dan Arnold looks nothing like a typical tight end, which is why he's intriguing to me, is that he's the kind of guy that can have some big games and kind of gives you the upside of maybe he'll get some slots in the snap. You never really know, but he looks like he won't be used like a tight end, which I like. That's very cool. I'm going to have to, now those are my three names that I'm going to be going into the last pick with then. So we'll see if any of them survive because I'm sure everybody else that's in this stuff is pretty good too. I mean, there's some guys in there that every time around they're taking my guy, I'm like, damn it, man. Like this is never going to work. You can't have a plan coming into this thing because there's just too many people in there that are sharks that are just like waiting there patiently for their guy. It's been fun to watch and see, and it's been a blast being part of the whole thing all together. Is this your first year doing it? Yep, first year. Yeah, same. Yeah, even though I've been involved in the in fantasy football for several years, prior to this year, I was always behind the scenes. Yeah, I was completely hidden away doing coding on the back end. Right. So putting a little. It's been fun to become more high profile this year and actually show my face rather than just being completely hidden from view. I like so it's, it. It's been fun to do the, the fishbowl. Yeah, I mean, it's been a blast. And so since we're getting ready to close out and uh, your face is out of the closet, then uh, is it got anything else coming up that you want to shout out before we get out of here? I would say check out my Codebreaker podcast. If you go to the Roto Underworld podcast feed, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, basically wherever there's podcasts, the Roto Underworld feed, Check out The Art of Stacking. It's a podcast that I released last week. I detail very in-depth the theory and the math behind why you should be stacking and pairing your quarterback with their receiving options. And then I'll also have an article coming out sometime this week on playerprofiler.com as well. Further elaborating on that, there's going to be some super cool graphics and tables in that article, courtesy of our content intern for the summer, Jesse. She's been crushing it. So. This is going to be a really fun article. So 
definitely check those out if you're curious at all about stacking Sweet. and want to learn more about why you should be doing it. Absolutely. And we'll make sure we got links to all that stuff in the show notes because this will be coming out next week. So I'm sure you'll have all that stuff out already. So we'll get it all linked up and everything will be in there for everybody to catch up with. All right, everybody, thanks for being here again this week. Uh, you're appreciated for showing up. Uh, make sure you're spreading the word you know, about uh, feedingamerica.org. Obviously, that was our charity for this week, so it's very cool. We'll have everything in there for you guys to connect with them. Everything I'm up to is over at thebuffalonerd.com, and we will see you guys next week. You just listen to the Buffalo Nerd Sports Podcast. Make sure you leave a review and subscribe so you never miss another episode. We'll see you next time. Leg out. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.